this truly is God's Word, and I think most of us do, if not all of us, if we truly believe this is God's Word, then we need to understand that this Word is backed by God's omniscience. That means God's all-knowing, right? So, we've got a Word here from somebody that knows everything. It also means we need to factor in, in our mind that of God's omnipresence. He's always with us observing all the things that we do with His Word. He's a God of omnipotence. When God tells us something in His Word to do, then we can assume, or not assume, we can trust that His power is there to help us perform it, right? His Word is backed by His Spirit who lives in us, also His holiness. And I, I read a book uh, a couple of years ago on God's holiness, and I love what it said. One of the things it said was, since God is holy, it means he can never mistreat you. He can never be mistaken. He can never do you wrong because he's holy. And it's also we should bear in mind that this word is backed by God's love. Now, we need to remember this because we live in a day and time, and you know, I'm no expert. I've only lived there in this particular time. But I know for me, I've never seen a time in my time of life where people disbelieve so many messages that we receive. I mean, we don't believe everything we get in a text. <laughs> you don't believe everything you get in an email. You don't believe everything you get uh, by phone even. I had a guy call me the other day, and he's, <laughs> he's, I'm pretty sure it was a scam. He's not a real great scammer. <laughs> he's like, hey, um, man, <laughs> I've got a package I need to deliver to you. He's like, yeah, I know you. You didn't know my name. <laughs> okay, you got man's best you can do. You don't believe everything you see on billboards? right? You don't believe everything you hear on the news. You don't believe everything you read in the newspaper or in the magazines or the books or the advertisements. And I know surely you don't believe everything you hear in political speeches. And so we are very cynical. We're a very cynical generation. And, and we've been told so many lies. It's kind of leaned us that direction. We've seen so many people that we should be able to trust that have broken that trust. And there's this, I mean, you can watch any of the debates. And they've got, a lot of times, they'll have somebody that's a fact checker and say, all right, this candidate lied about these things, misrepresented the truth, didn't get it quite right. This one did it on, on all these things. We're used to that, right? Don't carry that over into your relationship with God. God's Word. It's not that way. It's different from all these other messages you're getting. His Word is inspired by God, which means what? It's holy. It's wonderful. It's loving. He knows everything. He can never be mistaken. And so what we should come is submissively, right? With humility, what the verse said, with humility, receive the Word. Now, we probably have some things we wish God's Word said, right? Man, I wish God's Word said this. I wish God, we don't want to come to God's Word thinking, here's what I want it to say, and instead of that, here's what it does say. How do I incorporate that? How do I make that a part of my life? You say, what I would love for it to say is, take up your Krispy Kreme donut and follow me. <laughs> Can I get an amen? amen? Yeah, take up your Krispy Kreme donut and follow me. Delight yourself in your own desires, and I'll give you the desires of your heart be pretty good, wouldn't it? Uh, deny yourself nothing that you really want and follow me. <laughs> How about this one? Be happy as I am happy. Y'all know that's not what it says, right? It says be what? Holy. Thank you. Be holy. Follow me and I will make your life rich and easy. That's not what it says, is it? If someone hits you on the right foot, I mean hits you on the right cheek, 
turn the other one, and I will give them head lice and athlete seat. Did you wish you said that? <laughs> no, saw what it said. We have an idea of how we want it to work, what we wish it would say. But what we want to do is come to God's Word and say, Lord, you are the smartest person in the world. Jesus truly is. He's the smartest person in the world. Think about that. Whatever it is you study in school, whatever it is you read about in books, whatever, Jesus is the master expert on every subject. Think about it. Dallas Willard, I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, at the lit- he was a professor of arithmetic at USC. Wrote a book called The Philosophy of Arithmetic. I didn't know arithmetic had a philosophy. <laughs> I didn't know numbers could do that, okay? It's really, really a bright, bright guy. And also a very strong Christian. And he said, I never thought of it this way. At the literally mundane level... Jesus knew how to transform the molecular structure of water to make it into wine. That knowledge also allowed him to take a few pieces of bread and some fish and feed thousands of people. He knew how to transform the tissues of a human body from sickness to health and from death to life. He actually did that. During his, during his lifetime. He knew how to suspend gravity. Interrupt, by the way, the ascension. When I first read that, suspend, I said, when did he suspend gravity? Well, when he ascended into heaven, right? Suspend gravity. Interrupt weather patterns. Eliminate unfruitful trees without a saw or an axe. And he only needed a word. And Dallas Weirdo says, surely he must be amused at what we give out Nobel Prizes for. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing compared to him. If he's that smart and he's that much of an expert, we should listen to what he says. Look in James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, the New International Version. We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Why should we be slow to speak? Why should we we be slow to anger? Why should we be quick to listen? Because he knows more than we do. We don't know it all, so we need to be slow to speak and slow to become angry. Why? We need his perspective on what's going on before we even know how to feel about it. We need to be quick to listen. Why? But whenever we're in a situation where things might get a little bit tense, we need to say, okay, God, what's your idea here? What's your heart? What's God's heart in this thing? What do you want to accomplish in this conversation? I've had people tell me, you know, Brother Barry, so-and-so, they did me wrong or they upset me, and, and I just really want to have a conversation with them. And sometimes I've asked, what's the goal? Well, I think they just need to know how they hurt me, all right? I think they've already know that, what you've already told me. What's the goal? What do you want to accomplish By this conversation, if all you want to accomplish is to make them feel bad, I got to step back and do that slow to speak kind of thing there. If your goal is reconciliation, if your goal is to help them get to know Christ better, if your goal is to walk together as brother and sister in Christ, that's a whole different thing. But just if your goal is to tell them off, make them feel bad, make them feel so guilty they'll apologize to you, I think I kind of step back on that one. Because here's the thing, slow to speak. Why? Because gossip can have real and tragic consequences. It really can, and we hardly ever, we hardly ever know the whole story of something. You can see what somebody does, but you don't always know what's behind that. 
you can't see into their heart. You don't know their motives. You don't know their background. You don't really know why they're doing that. And so uh, gossip is something that really needs to be outside of where we live. And he says what? Slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I love what Brian Hansen, he wrote a book called Unoffendable, which he talks about letting go of anger. And he says not only can we choose to be unoffendable, we should choose that. It just sounds odd in our culture where people just seem to delight in being offended, delight in being hurt, delight in being able to put somebody in their place. We should forfeit our right to be offended. That means forfeiting our right to hold on to anger. When we do this, we'll be making a sacrifice that is very pleasing to God because what? It strikes at our very pride. It forces us I love what he writes. Not only to think about humility, but actually be humble. Going down to verse 21, look at James 1, 21, New International Version. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And what? Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. What does he say? Get rid of it. The idea is, get rid of, the idea is, the idea of changing clothes. The, idea, the other idea of it is getting dirt off your, off your body. You know, if you want to wash up for dinner or something like that, you've been cutting grass and all that kind of stuff, and you've got grass all over, you're sweating and hot and all that. You want to get what? You want to get cleaned up before you have supper with your family, cleaned up before you get to bed that night. You want to get rid of the filth. And what's he saying here is we have the decision. We can do it. God's put his spirit in us. And so he says, I've enabled you to do it. Now you choose to get rid of it. It's so prevalent but because it's so prevalent does not mean you have to do it doesn't mean that i have to. doesn't mean we have to participate in it i love what one guy said he says when james tells us to put aside sinful and selfish desires and come humbly to the word it reminds you the goal is never to get around god's word but for god's word to get in me not to get around it but for god's word to get in me suppose someone come in tonight and uh, we were to find out that she is the, um, the wisest person in the world on investments. She's made 10 gazillion dollars. You know how many gazillions? That's a lot. She made 10 gazillion dollars in the stock market, strong Christian. And so she comes in and we say, hey, could you guys do a little seminar with us right here? We'd like to invest a little money and make a little money like that. And she says, sure. So she gives us a seminar and says, all right, here's the thing. You need to take your money out of that investment. That, that's, that's not going to be good for you long term. And you need to put your money in these investments. Now, what do we do? Do we say, okay? Or do we say, mm, I, don't, I don't think I will. Depends on if you trust her or not. Depends on if you believe she really is the smartest person, if you believe she has your best at heart, not just trying to make, maybe the reason she says that is that she's going to make money off of us. I don't know that I really trust that. And so it's, it's really an issue of, is she really the smartest person and do I trust she has my good at heart? Well, here's the thing. Jesus really is the smartest person and he really does have your ultimate good at heart. So we receive it humbly. Secondly, we receive it steadily. First of all, submissively. Secondly, we need to receive God's word steadily. Look at verse 23 to 25. You don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, but whoever looks intently 
into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They, the one who hears and does, that person will be blessed in what they do. Look at verse 25. The idea there is to look intently, to look intently, try to really get at the heart of the meaning of this particular passage of Scripture. Don't forget it. Let it lodge into your heart. Let it soak into your heart. Have it right there in front of you. So let me ask you a question. And we can't answer it fully tonight, but why do you think, why do you think so many professing Christians struggle to find time for God's Word? Is it discipline? We're just not disciplined enough. We don't set the alarm. We don't intend on it. We just, we just are, are just lazy. Or is it desire? We really don't want to. Because you know, <laughs> if you want to do something bad enough, to find 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes in a day, you'll probably find that if you won't do bad enough. And so it can't be, and by the way, COVID taught us it's not that we don't have enough time, Right? Facebook has taught us, Instagram has taught us, we don't have, it's not that we don't have enough time. We have time because we're doing all this other stuff. So we really do have time uh, for most of us. So it's either, is it discipline or is it desire? Which one is it? Now, find a good Bible, have a plan, know where you're going to read when you get up in the morning, try to make this thing as easy as you can. But we need to take God's Word in steadily. If I were to say uh, to Holt, hey, Holt, let's eat lunch tomorrow, Holt wouldn't say, you know, I ate lunch last Friday. I don't I think I'm good. <laughs> That's not going to be the response, right? I would do it. You got to eat again, <laughs> right? You can't eat a meal a week. You know, most people are not going to do that. You can't drink a couple of glasses of water on Monday and then go without it. In fact, if you watch uh, some of the long distance ultramarathoners and things like that, uh, people who hike long distances, uh, they have something called a camelback. And a camelback is, um, is like a backpack, but it's much smaller, and you fill it with water. It has a little hose that comes around, and you can suck on that hose. And, you get, and the reason they do that is because they got to drink all day. They're out in the hot, and they're sweaty, and, and you're going to dehydrate pretty quickly if you're not receiving fluids in. So they got it on their back. So what? So they have it with them. They don't have to, they're not going to forget about it. They got that little hose right there they can suck on. And so what I'm saying to us is we need to be that way with God's Word. Take it with you wherever you go. It's not that hard. You know, you got pocket Bibles, you got small Bibles, you got big Bibles, you got all kind of Bibles. You got Bibles on your phone. You got you version on your phone. You've got uh, places that you can download apps to share your faith from your phone. And so to have it with us steadily, but then to really look at it during our quiet times, to have songs, right? Have songs to the day that you worship God with. One of the things, if you're, you know, having kind of a funky day or whatever, one of the great things you can do is start singing. Start singing praise to God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. Get your mind off of the junky stuff that got you going that direction and focus on Christ. Learn to put Christian songs in your quiet time, on your playlist, on wherever you do things like that. Talk about the verses with somebody. I find that to be one of the most helpful things. If I want to remember a verse, I need to talk to somebody about it. Hey, guess what? I had my quiet time this morning. Hey, maybe a text, maybe an email, maybe a phone call. Maybe I just see somebody in town. How's it going? That's the coolest thing happened this morning. Uh, I was reading God's Word this morning. This particular thing happened. And it's amazing if you let God's Word get in you, it's amazing at the amount of times that it will come back to you. 
<laughs> It'll come to you when you don't even expect it. Y'all saw that happen to me in the middle of the sermon this morning. When I'm preaching, all of a sudden, boom, Luke 14, 33 is what I read in my quiet time. I'm like, wow, it just flashed right there. I learn to get it in your heart where you can, where you get it in your heart, hopefully it spills out occasionally into somebody else's life. And then we'll just watch for it. And God might do something kind of funny once in a while. Just watch for it. Look for it. And, and, and God is, uh, Laura loves to say things like, you know, God's up in heaven like, all right, watch this. This is really going to be funny here. This is, I got this all kind of worked out here. So uh, Friday morning, Friday morning, I, uh, I, I was reading in my quiet time, and it was uh, one of Hannah Grace's uh, favorite scriptures, uh, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. And so um, I texted uh, Hannah Grace and Laura and Joel, and I said, uh, I know we all have things that we're stressing about, things that kind of get us upset, but, um, you know, maybe today you're not exactly living a Hakuna Matata day. Anybody know what Hakuna Matata is? No worries. It's a problem-free philosophy, right? And so I told us that in case you're not having a Hakuna Matata kind of a day, I said, here's, you know, 1 Peter 5, 7, um, Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Uh, Glenn was having surgery that day. They had him in the little pre-op room. And I walk in, and y'all, I kid you not, Phyllis and Glenn know this is the truth. On the wall of his room, it said Hakuna Matata. <laughs> and had pictures of the Lion King. And I walked in, I just busted out laughing. I know they probably wonder what in the world is he laughing at. Like, it's got Hakuna Matata, man. It's right there. I just texted that to my family this morning. When's the last time you saw Hakuna Matata somewhere or another? It's been a long time. God just has a way of bringing those things to us. So learn to take your Bibles, take your word in, and do what it says. You might just learn to play a game. Play a game called, what's the verse? And just throw out some, just I tell you, well, let's just play it right now. <laughs> Everybody ready to play a game? Good. All right. Got to speak up. All right, right? So let's play a little game. I'm going to throw out some subjects and somebody give me a Bible verse. You don't have to know where it is. Just kind of give me the, the, the bare bones of it. All right? How about stress? What's a good Bible verse to go along with stress? I'm just so stressed. What's a good Bible verse? There you go. All right. <laughs> we got a who back here. <laughs> there you go, man. Don't be anxious about anything, but everything, cast all your cares on him. All right. So anybody else got a stress verse? All right. I just told you one. <laughs> cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. All right. How about, as this do another, how about guilt? Anybody got a good one for guilt? Amen. Perfect verse, right? Isn't that a great verse? Anybody else got a good guilt verse? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. All right, how about loneliness? Anybody, we live in a lonely, lonely culture. Anybody got a good verse for loneliness? Thank you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Perfect verse, right? Anybody else got a different one? Awesome, awesome. One last one. How about fear? Is there a good verse for fear? Anybody got a good verse for fear? There you go. When I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. Perfect verse. Anybody got a different one for fear? Joshua 1, 9. Yeah, fear not, for I'm with thee. He's going to guide him through the promised land, right? Uh, Isaiah 41, 10, same thing. Fear not, for I am with thee. All right, that goes for loneliness as well. Anybody got a different one for fear? Amen, amen. So the idea 
is when we are talking in conversations, as we hide God's word in our heart, as we think about these things, as we talk about it, the more you talk about it with somebody, the more you're going to remember it. If you just, and y'all know this, I'll read a book and I'll tell Laura, man, this book is so good. She said, what's it about? <clears throat> and I gotta go back and reread it. <laughs> because I, I just read it to enjoy it and I didn't really think about it, having to talk about it, you know. And to talk about it, you really gotta understand it a little bit better. So the more you talk about, and just listen. Listen to what people are talking about. Listen to what people are dealing with, and then just say, what's a good verse? What's a good verse? But last of all, last of all, we'll finish it up. We, um, we receive the word submissively, humbly. He's the expert. We receive it steadily, and then we respond to it supremely. The idea is that it takes precedence over everything else in our life. In fact, James 1.22 is probably the theme of the entire book of James. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Uh, some of you learned that in King James, which says, be ye, say it loud, doers of the word and not hearers only. So it takes precedence when we choose to obey it. Listen, I love what one person said. If there's been no action from the word, there's been no acceptance of the word. There's been no action from it. There's been no acceptance of it. So let's put it this way. You're sitting at the table tonight. Um, Y'all are eating. Um, and so the family's sitting around, and there's like a holy halo over the table, and y'all are just talking about Jesus and how wonderful God is and all that kind of good stuff and, um, and all the good insights from, from the day. And so you're getting ready to get up, and so you tell your 10-year-old, you say, are you done? And, they, and he says, yes. And you say, okay, would you put your dishes up in the sink, please? And so he says, yes. And five minutes goes by, and you say, dishes still sitting there. He's got up and left. So you go in there and say, uh, sweetheart, uh, did you hear me say uh, to put your dishes up? Yes, sir, I heard you. But the dishes are still on the table. <laughs> so, so then you say, you sure you heard me? Yes, sir, I heard you. I don't think you did. <laughs> that's, what we parent, that's what our parents' car tells us to say, right? Oh, I don't think you did. Because you heard me, they wouldn't still be on the table. You see, when I, when I ask you, did you hear me? What I mean is, did you hear and then do what I told you to do? And so when we hear God's Word, it's not enough just to listen. We're supposed to accept it and put it into action. Look for ways to take it into our lives and shape our lives by it. Think about it this way. When we listen to God's Word, it should change us. We should see things. We should be willing. We should be humble enough to say, God, Show me any course corrections I need to take. And so each week on Sunday mornings, I do a weekly growth suggestion. You know, it's just be trying to come up with an action point, um, application um, deal to put into your life. And so this morning, my application was to read chapter 9 of, of uh, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And then to watch for things to do this week that may make you feel a little bit weird. That God wants you to do and do them. So... What if next Sunday morning you came to church or people come to church and the ushers are in the back and you walk in and the usher says, so uh, what weird thing did you do this week? Sorry? Well, that was the action point. That was the growth suggestion from the sermon last week. You're supposed to look for something weird to do and then do that for Jesus' sake. But he'd be glorified. So what weird thing did you do? I don't think I actually, you know, I kind of, kind, of, kind of passed on that one. All right, well, go back out. When you do it, come back. What do you mean? Well, I mean, we preached last week. You didn't do it. So why should we do this again? 
So go do it and come back. <laughs> That'd be kind of wild, wouldn't it? <laughs> Would have a, a, either an a, a increase in application or a decrease in attendance. <laughs> and I'm not going which one I think it would be. I love, what David, <laughs> I love what David Platt says. He says, don't be willing to obey the word. Obey the word. Don't be willing to help the poor. Help the poor. Don't be willing to share the gospel. Share the gospel. Don't be willing to live in purity. Live in purity. And then he goes on and he gives the illustration of the mirror. If you look in the mirror and you don't make any adjustments, he says, you deceive yourself. You're lying to yourself. Now, be honest. How many mirrors do you pass by in a day that you don't check yourself out? <laughs> Almost every time you walk by a mirror. I, I mean, I do. Almost every time you walk by a mirror, you kind of glance, right? And my button's all done. And my, this is hair doing that weird thing it does sometimes, you know. And you know, just kind of look. Just kinda, and typically, most of us aren't looking at like, I'm looking good today. How about that? <laughs> We're looking for flaws, right? Look something to fix. There's something in my teeth. Is my hair goofy? Is you know, looking at my glasses on upside down. What's, you know, make make sure I'm I'm, I'm present myself okay. Well, the same thing. When you look into God's word, He says if you look in it and you see you got big broccoli stuck in your teeth right there, you don't just go on. Get it out. <laughs> Do something about it. You fix it. And if you're having lunch with a friend, if they're any kind of a friend, they'll say, "Dude, man, you might want to go to the restroom. Check that check that out right there." Well, he says, man, if you look into the perfect mirror of God's Word and you see a flaw, you see disobedience there, just go on. Just carry on with your life. No, I love what one person said. He said, uh, he called ladies makeup mirrors where these makeup mirrors that the men are too ugly to have a makeup mirror. It makes your face too big and we can't look at ourselves that close. But I know a lot of ladies, they have makeup mirrors and magnifies everything, right? Uh, one guy called it a fix-it mirror. <laughs> and so you can see really, really good. You know, if your lipstick's on your teeth, if the makeup's not done just right, and so it's called a fix-it mirror. Well, this is a fix-it mirror. <laughs> Helps us not fix ourselves, fix our relationship with God. We look at it, we make adjustments, and then we walk on in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the law that comes through Christ. Now, he gives us three specific places. We'll look at these and we'll be done. Look at James 1, 26 and 27. Three specific places to obey. Those who consider themselves religious, those who were Christians, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. And their religion is uh, worthless. Strong words, is it not? Strong words. Religion that God our Father accepts, the kind, of, the kind of relationship God's pleased with, as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Three things, he says, three specific places of obedience. Number one is the tongue. Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true, right? Watch the way you talk. Make sure, as the lion chaser says, that we're not part of the problem, but we're part of the solution. Too oftentimes, if, if gossip gets kind of carried on in a, in a church or a class or a job place, something like that, too many times people jump in and take sides and they become part of what? The problem. And God says, no, no, be a part of the solution. Watch your tongue. Your, and James is going to say a lot more about the tongue. Secondly, he says, 
obey God in caring for the orphans and widows, those who are hurting and can't provide for themselves, those who are being oppressed, those who are being exploited, those who have no recourse, they don't have any way of providing for themselves. He says, as believers, you do that. God has a special concern for orphans and widows and those who can't help themselves. Look at Deuteronomy 10, 18 in the Old Testament. The Bible says that God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, loves the foreigner, person from another country who's decided to live with them. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. One of the early emperors of the Roman Empire, uh, after the time of Jesus, was writing about the Christians. Listen to what he says. And this is an emperor that hated Christianity. He said, it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg, because the Christians are taken care of, no Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans, the impious Galileans are the Christians. They follow Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus from Galilee, so that's why he calls them. He says, and these impious Galileans, watch this, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our own people do not receive aid from us, but from the Christians. That's a pretty strong statement. And then last of all is moral purity. Live in the world, but don't let the world get in you. Live in the world, but don't let the world get in you. Leonard Ravenhill again said, The greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make him holy and then put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy in it. Amen? To live a life of integrity. Man, there's no shortage of moral filth right? There's no shortage of moral filth. We've got things like alcohol, drugs, racism, laziness, pornography, abuse, premarital sex, adultery, lying, cheating. I mean, you just go on and on and on. And the great miracle is for God to make us holy, not perfect, but holy, separated, a heart that's true to God that says, I really want to live, God, according to what you say in your word. I read about a Catholic priest he ministered to ladies who had had abortions. And he was trying to get them to take God seriously. And this is what it was written about this Catholic priest. He said, he tells the people, these ladies who've had abortions, he said, abortion is a terrible sin. But an equally terrible sin is not allowing God to forgive you if you had one. In fact, that may be worse. Because all of us have sinned, right? And we need to believe what God says about our sin, that it's wrong and it's wicked and we shouldn't do it. But boy, we need to believe what God says about, hey, come to me and I'll forgive you. Come to me. Don't stay away from me. Don't let your sin keep you away from God. One of the best things you can do is let your sin drive you to Jesus, to kneel to him and say, Lord, I've tried, 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 and I just can't do this. And so I'm surrendering to you, and I'm asking you to do it through me. Would you stand, please, with heads bowed and eyes closed? As we say, yes, Lord, do it through me. Do it through me, Lord. I can't do it on my own, but I know you're not going to do it apart from me. And so, Lord, in me, I want to receive your word submissively and steadily and supremely, your word means more to me than anything anybody else can say. And so, Father, we bow in prayer tonight, and we thank you for your word.
Thank you we can take it wherever we go. Thank you we don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to pretend like we don't have it. Uh, thank you, Lord, there's nobody listening in to our services tonight to see what we're talking about. But Lord, help us to freely avail ourselves to you, to freely invite your word to penetrate our hearts, penetrate our thoughts, penetrate our emotions. Lord, that our hearts would be so full of your word that when we open our mouths, it would bubble out, it would bubble forth, it would come out, Lord, in conversations. Help us to, to hide your word in our heart. That not only that we might not sin against you, but that we might be able to speak a word. Speak a word the right time, right place, right way. Your heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. As Lisa uh, plays softly on the piano.